practice owners aren't business people. Practice owners um, don't understand the psychology of an associate and what they want. It sounds like you never had anybody who really helps you in that respect. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. Corporates have failed to understand this yeah, very, very important thing. The dentist is the most important person in the room. The dentist is the person who's, who generates the practice money. The dentist is the person who the patients trust and believe in. Practice owners, especially the NHS folks, mm. have been slow to react mm. and understand that things are changing. So you need to, the, the, the practice and the business model needs to change as well. Hi everyone, welcome to Dentistry Unmasked. My guest today is Madassa Hussain. Now, Madassa is doing some wonderful things, not only in dentistry, but also with other small businesses. He runs his own coaching company, Clarity Coaching International. Now, his story behind this uh, is an interesting one because he got into this uh, through difficulty with being an NHS associate. So he ran into some difficulties with the practice that he was working in and uh, the difficulties really, um, you know, came to a peak uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, shortly after, uh, as a fallout from leaving that position, he appeared in front of the GDC. These were tough times for Vodasta and uh, he really... Uh, needed an outlet to really change his mindset and improve his life. And he discovered coaching and it was such a transformation for him that he decided to get involved with it himself, but from the other side, so set up Clarity Coaching International. Now, Madasta and I, we connected initially on social media and he invited me to come on his um, uh, podcast, which is called Diary of a Dental Coach. And uh, there's a link below if you want to listen to that podcast that I appeared on. Now, he invited me onto his podcast to talk about uh, my mindset and uh, how I run a private dental practice and and obviously the teaching courses that we do as well. Uh, so I invited him onto Dentistry of Mass because I wanted to get his perspective uh, on life as an NHS associate because I haven't been involved in NHS dentistry now uh, for, for over a decade. So uh, given that the bulk of the dental workforce is actually NHS-based, uh, NHS associates, um, it's really interesting for me, and I hope you find it interesting too, uh, it's really interesting for me to hear the perspective on it of an NHS associate and what their daily life is like and what their view of principles are. Uh, I found it a bit of an eye-opener. Uh, I'd be interested to know what you guys think of this as well. Uh, but yeah, it was interesting to hear his story, uh, his perspective on, uh, on NHS practice. And uh, how to improve and move forward from from the current position that we're in within NHS dentistry. So yeah, have a listen. And uh, as always, I appreciate your comments. Uh, I must say we're coming towards the end of season one now, and some um, most of the comments I get, uh, people don't like to comment publicly, and I can understand why. So we get a lot of uh, private emails. So thank you for your emails. Thank you for your questions uh, and your support as well. Uh, the last episode with Mike Hesketh was the most downloaded podcast so far. Uh, so it looks like you all really, really enjoyed that one. Uh, I'd just like to say a big thank you to our two sponsors, Unique Implant Training and also Former Dental Supplies, who supply our vertical prep burrs for our BOBT courses. Uh, and I always say that if you like, subscribe, comment, share, uh, you're always in line to win a vertical prep burr kit. And I'm happy to say that Ilan Press 
of Bow Lane Dental Group is the uh, winner of a uh, vertical prep kit, which is worth £200. So, Ilan, thank you very much for commenting and sharing, and I will uh, ensure that you get your book very, very soon. So, guys, thank you as always for your support. I hope you enjoy this episode. As always, just uh, I'd appreciate if you left a little like, uh, a comment, or a share, uh, and uh, you'll be in line to win one of those BOPT book kits, and it just helps us grow this podcast as well. Thank you very much. Enjoy the episode. Adasa. Welcome, welcome to Dentistry and Mass. Thank you for making the uh, the trip across the Pennines this morning. Thank you. So, uh, no, welcome. And um, we've been communicating. I've, I've I've actually been on your podcast as well, uh, and you're doing some great things in dentistry. So, I think I'd like to start with um, please tell me what it is that you're doing and what is your mission. So, how do you want to change the industry? Um, so, for for myself, um, I'm all about. Uh, well, obviously, I'm a coach, so I'm all about trying to uh, change the culture within dentistry and introduce a coaching culture within dentistry uh, and try and uh, bring about some changes to help the profession, really. Okay. So why? I mean, what, what's what's your story? What's your background? What happened? There, there, there's, a, there's a unique set of events that actually happened to you. Um, let's start with the most recent stuff, uh, which, which, which made you think that some change is necessary right yeah i mean for for many many years uh, i was an nhs associate uh, and just plodded along as normal but then um the pandemic came and i think for a lot of associates as well as practices it brought a lot of challenges and a lot of problems and um yeah like a lot of associates um i wasn't paid correctly and i was um obviously felt disheartened by that because i had a small family and children and I was regularly earning less than I felt like I should and there was no clear guidance from the BDA and NHS so um, after working at a practice for nearly five years I decided it was time to move on um, and then I decided to move on from that practice. Mm. If you don't mind me digging a little bit deeper into that when you say you weren't paid correctly are we allowed to go and, and, and dive into that? Yeah, I mean, there wasn't clear guidance from uh, the NHS uh, or BDA, to be fair, at the time. Mm. And I think a lot of asso- uh, a lot of practice owners, obviously, some were getting abatements, etc. So they had their own local arrangement with the associates. For me, it was just a case of I'd wanted to leave previously before, but I think the pandemic just made me realise that it was time to get out and... I was working in a one surgery practice, practically running the show for nearly five years. Wow. So, okay. So for me, it was like I needed to start experiencing what happens outside the practice. It was a lovely practice, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I really enjoyed working with the team there. Uh, I had a great time there. But I think the pandemic, like for everyone, everyone starts to reflect on things and thinks, you know what, it, it might be time to leave. Um, and obviously, I handed my notice back in March 2021. Mm-hmm. And obviously, um, I wanted to leave amicably and uh, leave in the right way. Um, and I think it's quite a common scenario where uh, perhaps practice owners become difficult when an associate wants to leave. Um, but I, myself, I remained as professional as I could and wanted to obviously leave on good terms uh, and agreed to work a three-month notice period with them. Um as time went on, because uh, we were a small team, 
things changed significantly in terms of the dynamics and the atmosphere within the practice. Um, and that really sort of impacted me significantly because being the sole clinician in charge of this practice and the team then sort of almost blaming you because this clinic was then being closed down and, and moving to a different site. So there was a lot of, I suppose they didn't, they resented the fact that I was leaving. Um, and yeah, so things became quite toxic um, during that period and it's quite a stressful period. And again, you know, I'd, I'd say to, to dentists, I, I reached out to a confident, uh, to the confidential helpline oh, okay. at the time and thought, I, I need help because I really don't know how to handle this situation. I was scared to go to work. And, um, it, you know, it just where you just didn't feel well enough to go to work. Hmm. And it got, for the first time ever in my practicing career, I'd actually gone to the doctor and said, look, this is how I feel. And I got a sick note for two weeks. And they said, look, you need to take some time out here because this is really, really impacting you significantly. So I got a sick note and said, you know, and, and told the practice, look, I need some time out. I'm happy to continue working that three month notice period, but I wanted to, I need some time out. Um, and it was at that point that obviously it was sort of agreed that it might be better if I, if I left. And I felt like we parted on reasonably good terms, mm -hmm. despite it being a strained end to the uh, to the relationship, there was some further ramifications, though, wasn't there? Something something happened further down the line. Is that right? Yeah, that that's right. So I didn't obviously envisage this because on the emails and the con communications, I could tell things were, were strained, but I didn't envisage what would unfold later on, and didn't realize that, that perhaps the seriousness of of what would happen. So. Um, Several weeks after I left, I received a letter through NHS England regarding a complaint that was made against me. Um, and at the time, I didn't really think of it as being a, a serious matter because mm -hmm. in my head, I felt, and this is the thing that as dentists, we like to do is we think we, 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 it, it, we think we know how to solve this or we think, okay, we're right. But what you realize is, especially quite quickly in these situations, is that the solicitors, the indemnity, the legal people know what they're talking about. So even though you might think you have an idea of of it, of, of dealing with this scenario, uh, my advice to all dentists is always, always follow your indemnity's advice. Um, so yeah, I, I received this letter letter out of the blue, and I didn't really realise the seriousness of it, the seriousness of it. And quite quickly, it got escalated to the GDC. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, and. Um, you know, and at that point, obviously, as dentists, we all fear the GDC and we all uh, are quite scared of the GDC. So I think at the time, after having a meeting with my indemnity solicitor, it was complete, came as a complete shock of what I was accused of. Um, and we'll have to dig into that a bit. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the case is over. It yeah. was a, a dishonesty case. Uh -huh. Um um, I mean, I, I don't really want to go too much about the detail, but sure. basically I was accused of doing something that I didn't do. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the, the problem I had was that obviously I had this strained relationship with the staff that worked at the practice mm. and they'd concocted a story together and I had no way of really disproving this story. And 
you're like stuck in a way because you're having these conversations with your indemnity and they're like, well, it's two against one. You, you, you know, um, you're, in, you're in a lot of trouble here right. because how are you going to prove that didn't this didn't happen? And the second reason is why would they lie? What was the motivation for them to make a story like this up? So, 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 so that's when you realize that I, I, you know, this, this was an attack on my integrity. This was an attack on my character. This was a massive, massive, serious situation, like career ending situation. Right. Uh, and it, it, you know, it, it was devastating in a way because I'd just gone through that toxic period of working in that practice where I wanted to leave and things became strained. And I'm now a few weeks later, and I was due to start a new job at the time. So I get this out of the blue mm. and realize it's gone to the GDC. And, and it was within like two weeks I was due to start my new position. So obviously you're devastated by what's happening. You, you, and it's sort of almost panic because your indemnity solicitor saying, look, you could get struck off here. You do know that this is very serious. And it was only then that it sort of hit me and it was like, wow, I don't actually have any idea of how I'm going to deal with this false accusation that was made against me. Did this, did this um, have a knock-on effect for your new position? Were you able to start your new job? This this is the thing, and I was fortunate, and I still work at that practice. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate. I was quite clear and honest, and, and that's important. I think if you start a relationship wrong, n- never, never lie to a practice owner, never do anything that might come back so I was, as soon as I received it, rang the manager, told the practice owner, this is the situation. And I even was at the point where I even said to him, look, I understand if you don't want to take me on because this looks like it's going to become quite serious. And there's obviously the possibility, you know, and um, you know, my indemnity list was saying that, look, you could be suspended for a while before this even gets dealt with. Mm. So there was, the, you know, in a practice owner's mind, this this was... You know, and I was fortunate enough that because I was honest, transparent, showed them everything, evidences that I had, they they backed me, even though they didn't they didn't they didn't know me at all. I didn't know them, uh, so I was quite fortunate in that sense. So that was a part time position, but because um, my, my my plan was to work across a, a couple of different practices, um, but equally so, I had an, a negative experience with. A, a larger corporate who, when I told, and I, I'd been offered a job there for three days a week, when I told them the situation, they'd escalated it to their clinical operations director and they basically t- uh, withdrew their offer. So mm. I was in a situation where, and, and just, just before this all this happened, I'd just bought a house. Mm-hmm. So it's like the worst possible time for all this to kick off uh, financially, um, et cetera. Um, you got three young kids as well, haven't you? Yeah, and and, yeah. and quite around that time, we found out my wife was pregnant as well. Oh. So we, we had a third child on our way. So it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was heartbreaking. It was devastating. It was, you know, I don't know if I'm going to use it, but the shit hits the shit hits the fan kind mm. of um, situation. So, so you kept your NHS registration at yeah. that stage. So then, then it goes to the GDC. Yeah. So what's that process like? What happens there? So, so, so for me, it was quite easy that time because we'd already responded to NHS England. Yeah. So the letter was pretty much the same. Got it was fixed. like, this is what we did. Yeah. Uh, 
and and this is and and it's important to have that um you know anyone who's going through the a gdc investigation is yeah. remember and um you know if you've got good indemnity uh people around you they'll advise you to remember that be consistent in what you say yeah because what happens is as well with, with memory as time goes on your memory can distort things or change things so mm. the longer it is from the period the more it changes so it's important that whenever you respond to a formal letter be consistent in your answer as well and even minor little changes even the order of how you might say this happened first and that happened you know you've got to understand that at the end the end because because as a, as a as a dentist you don't really think about where where it's heading or, or what the end game is your indemnity and the people around you, they, be, they go through this process day in, day out. So that's why it's important to, and this is something that I want to change from a, a dental uh, cultural point of view is we always have this attitude that we know everything, we know how to handle this, we know how to deal with this. But these guys are trained, these guys do this day in, day out. Just because you think it's right mm. or you think your perspective, it actually doesn't matter. What matters is the perspective of your indemnity and your barrister and they almost always have the best interest for you, especially if you've got the right people. But secondly, for myself, what I did initially, which perhaps I advise is that I had an indemnity solicitor, but they weren't dental. So I specifically requested, uh, and uh, I said I'd pay for that to get a dental legal advisor because I wanted to hear from them what their view was specifically on this case. And I think it's important because not always do, do the indemnity put you in touch with a dental legal advisor. So that's normally a dentist who's qualified. Really? Yeah. So what? So you just get some some solicitor that's dealing with multiple... Yeah, a lot of the time these they're the healthcare. So, so they'll right. deal with nurses, they'll deal with doctors, they'll deal with lots of different... So you might land with a solicitor who's never dealt with a dentist before. Sometimes, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Gosh. So from the initial uh, communications, I presume then there's a face-to-face. -face. Is that right? Is there a hearing where you're... Uh, no, it goes to case examiners first. Right. So you, you respond, then it goes to case examiners, then there's a process of, um, I suppose, investigation. So you're spending months... So for me personally, I was spending months working part-time, mm. not knowing where, where this is going... As your solicitor's telling you it's going to end up at a hearing and, and 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 to be honest it took a very very long time for things to progress so there was a, a period where obviously it goes to case examiners mm. uh, or they'll ask you to fill out a form for example so on that form I have to put who I've ever worked for for example and obviously I had to put the owners right. who had the strained relationship so this was going to be interesting because it was going to be like I now have to put people who I've worked with and I know I've got to say what are they going to do and how are they going to respond to the letter and, 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 and things like that because that's what the GDC do they ask you who have you ever worked for hmm. and they, they email them all right. and again that, that that's quite I think that's unfair hmm. I think that's unfair because people generally especially if you've left sometimes don't always even if you leave on good terms they're, they're not always in a position where they want to help you hmm. because at the time you were useful to them perhaps generated money for them but when you leave people aren't interested in you so it's it's a difficult one and it's a difficult scenario but I, I think it's really unfair I think it's the last two or three years that they 
whoever you've ever worked for. And the problem for me was that it, it was the owners pretty much who I'd only worked for in the last three or four years. Right. Hi guys, are you thinking about getting into dental implantology? Well, if you didn't know, I'm one of the founding members of Unique Implant Training. Unique Implant Training is now in its fifth year and we are now fully EDUQUAL accredited to diploma level, which is an 18-month diploma, the only 18-month implant diploma currently in the UK. So if you want to begin your implant journey, please don't hesitate to give us a call. Find us at www.uniqueimplanttraining.co.uk. We look forward to seeing you soon. Did it ever get to a point uh, where you did have a face-to-face -face hearing to conclude everything? Yeah, yeah. So, so, what, so that only happened that, yeah. in March this year. Oh gosh, okay. Yeah, so that only happened so March this year. March twenty-three. We look at it, it's two years later, basically. That's what I'm saying. So right. two years of pain, heartache, suffering. Yeah. So, what happened? So obviously, what happens before the hearing is uh, you get all the evidence in a bundle. So you get their official statement to the GDC. Uh, you get. Every, all the information the GDC have ever requested. So they might ask for references from your previous employers, people mm. you know, or people you've asked. Um, and you basically get that in a bundle. And then it, then you're basically, uh, then you've got to write your statement, which is a very lengthy statement of your version of events. Um, so I think throughout this, there was that emotional uh, trauma, you know, of I'm in the situation and... None of it's true, um, and I need to. I've, and I've spent the last two years dealing with this, and now I'm gonna have to relive it as well by putting it down on paper so and talking about it. Front. After six months of a lull, yeah, then you end up having to go through it again. Um, and then is it, it's? I'm presuming then is it face to face? Literally, at yeah, the yeah. So, building, so, or? so, so, yeah. We went yeah. went down with uh, um, in London uh, at the offices in Wimpole Street, right. And yeah, the interesting thing about a hearing, right, is that it's not that your indemnity coach you, but there is an element of that. And what you've got to understand is that th those guys aren't on your side. Which guys? As in the GDC? The committee, yeah. The committee, committee, is on your side, the committee right? are not on your side. Yeah. Their job is is probably to to get something from that, if you think about it. Do you know one thing I always want to give people advice is talk less right. and listen more. Mm -hmm. And as dentists, uh, or a lot of dentists, we want to talk more, we want to get our point across, but people will value and respect you more and listen to your point of view when you talk less because because that's when you start learning. And, and for me, I was very measured, I was very controlled, and, and I think even, the, even the, they wrote that up. And I think it's important to take even though you're you're feeling you've got all these emotions inside you, to to realise that you've got to limit what you say and what you can say, because everything you say, they're then gonna use that at some point, perhaps against you. So I I I knew that from the off. So for me, the the hearing was very simple uh, in in a way because I knew that everything was already documented. I put it everything that I wanted to in a in in the papers really and when uh and the important thing again the advice i'd give is when some when the barristers are asking you questions just answer the question right. nothing else nothing more 
not your opinion, not your take on things. Yes, no, maybe, whatever. Keep it short, keep it brief, but stick to answering the question because once you start thinking you're trying to convince someone of something, you're not doing your job. Mm. You're, you're, you're being the lawyer or you're being... That, that's not your job. Your barrister is there to do that for you. Your job is, is to re just respond to whatever questions are being asked and just answer those questions. So that, that, that whole hearing, how long does it last for roughly? It, for me, I think it was a three-day or two... two well, it was Days. scheduled three, three-day hearing. Yeah. You literally... There. Oh, gosh, I thought it was like going to be like a three, four-hour thing. Gosh. No, no, you're, three you're there days, for three days. It? Yeah, gosh, yeah there's a lot of... Uh, and then how quickly do you get your... Uh, your judgment. Okay. Uh, so, so for me, it, it was on the fourth day. Oh, so they'll tell yeah, you there and no, no. So part of it was remote. Part right. of it was was in person. So you do the in person bit first. Yeah. Uh, so after two days, they said you can you can go home now. We've we've done you, yeah. and they have their little obviously meeting and discussion around the case, uh, and and then obviously the, the, I think they came back on Thursday, okay. the actual verdict. Yeah, definitely. So that moment that so you proved to be. Well, how, what's 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 the term? Not guilty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was it was proven all the all the charges that they they have Dropped. were not proven. Yeah, basically none of the, so um, obviously they took no further action mm. uh, because it was a nonsense case in the end. But it took two years to get there. So what's that emotion? I, I think it, it was interesting because my wife and everyone was really happy, but for me, it was like it should never have got to this. He should is never it, have no, got to is, this. Is it what a bit of anger, elation? What is it? I I never I don't know. I I don't really. There's very few moments where I'd say I, I get really really happy or really really. For for me, it's I my happiness is other people being happy. So even like for example, as I said, one of the proudest moments when I became a dentist, for example, um, and I I was happy and elated and it felt amazing, but. For me, it was listening to to my dad, like getting emotional about it, crying about it, kind of thing. Yeah. For me, like I, I buzz of other people getting happy for me, not not me being happy. For me, it's it's. I just feel like serving others, giving to people, helping others is what life's all about, and that's what makes me happy. Hmm. This has been dragging on for two years, and those original days, obviously, you know the the terror, the trepidation, the uncertainty around what's going to happen to me but you managed to pull that around so what happened how did you first of all what helped you get through this i think the first yeah. few months you're feeling sorry for yourself mm -hmm. you're thinking and there's and even even some days during it there was anger there was blame there was this person's done it this has happened that happened mm. and then to me that the worst thing right what people don't understand is that it devastates your life in terms of your relationship because as a husband and wife as oh, a family okay it's always talked about yeah it's always on and there'll be days where you don't talk about it and suddenly you might get an email from you she wants this they want that and constantly you're being reminded right. of this situation all the time um and then you're struggling to find a job you're constantly being reminded and it almost like just completely overtakes your life. Your whole life becomes about this silly little thing that's going on in the background. And you do wish, and you look back and think, I wish I never gave it so much energy. I wish I never gave it so much 
Um, but at some point during the, I'd say probably around six months after this happened, mm. you know, obviously I, it, it took me time to self-reflect and it took me time and I thought, you know, in, in the past I've used, for example, therapists, um, counsellors, things like that to get me through stress of dentistry or whatever happened, you know, where, where, where suddenly you become a bit thinking, you think, I need, I need some help because... What, is this prior to this? Yeah, pr prior to this. Really? Prior to this, yeah. That's interesting. T t tell me about that because uh, I, I never have. I've never had the need to. I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate to say I've always had pretty, you know, smooth trajectory to, to this point. So that's yeah. interesting. Tell me, so, so, so you felt that things become overwhelming that you need yeah i think it's important that i think is i think the british culture mm. is very much that stiff upper lip we don't seek help or we don't really want to get help and i think dentistry more so um the idea of showing vulnerability being able to how can someone help me that 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 kind of thing so yeah i did have certain and everyone has certain situations it might be personal it might be to do with work it might be whatever where i've had to seek out help uh, so I've I've had hypnotherapy at some point. I've had uh, therapy. I've had different um, different types of therapy, shall we say? And it's not on a regular basis. It's just mm. more as and when you need it, sort of thing. So it might be that you go through six, seven months, and then something happens and it triggers anything. I'm not really dealing with this properly or not coping uh, with this situation. Mm. Um, and having that self awareness, it was only like I said through. Um, you know, I have I've got some quite uh, wealthy uh, friends and 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 things, and it was only through uh, one of my friends mentioning that he had a coach that, you know, I thought, what do you mean coach, coach? You know, coach is like football. What, what's a coach? It was only through speaking with with him uh, and then getting coached that I fell in love with the idea of coaching, and then went on to do my LM seven. So. So how did that come about then? So at what it was, stage? It was again like a chance kind of thing. It so was what like, stage was that? Is this during the, the GDC? During the GDC complaint, so, yeah. Right. It's during the GDC complaint. You're obviously at a level where it's kind of just like, man, this is tough going. You just have an off chance conversation with a mate and, you, and he's like, well, I've got a coach. Yeah, yeah. And right. it was like, oh, who's the coach then? And yeah. let me just find out a bit more about that. And to me, I was, it's like anything. You're trying to find... But what was he saying to you? You should try this or... No, no, he wasn't even... Yeah. Saying he was just, and he wasn't saying he was just saying that. Look, I use a coach when I make my business decisions and right. what what I do. So, you know, he says I have a health coach, I have a a life coach, I have a business coach, I have people who specialize in different areas, and hmm. and it it just sort of I just found uh, I found it intriguing, and it was like, and uh, you know, and then you start questioning yourself, like you think, why are people successful? What is it that they do differently? We all have twenty four hours in the day. And what is it that these these guys are doing differently to be successful? And for me, it was like, I want to be like him. I want to be successful like him. I want to do the same things as him. But the idea of, of coaching just, just really intrigued me because it was something that I'd sort of heard of like in football because I'm a mm. big football fan, but I'd never really... Um, I'd never really explored what a coach was or what a coach does and how coaching can help. And I think having that and then having a coach and being coached and thought this is brilliant this is exactly what i needed this turned the needle for me this completely changed my whole outlook on life this changed my whole everything it, it made me delve deep into who i am understand my personality understand my personality type understand 
all what had gone on before and realize that I'm carrying that baggage. I'm carrying that baggage every single day and I need to let go of that baggage because it's that baggage that's stopping me from progressing and stopping me from moving forward. So, so, so yeah, then I went on to do my ILM7 and that was like eye-opening, life-changing. It was like, wow, I feel like I've, I've met more intelligent people than me. I've met people who think differently. I've met business leaders. I've met people who own, and, and these are the guys that you, you want to mix with because these are the guys that will teach you stuff for free. And it's just simple, simple little tricks, simple little things. Mm. You know, you know what I mean. You realise that I wouldn't be sat here today talking to you if you met me during the GDC case or prior to this. Yeah, you know, I'd be breaking it sitting here talking to to you. Do, yeah. do, do you know what I mean? And there were so many goals that I've achieved. For example, setting up my own uh, business, uh, Clarity Coaching International. Um, I plan to go on TV. And did it within six months. Everything I wanted to achieve, I know that I can do it, and I've now got that self belief. It's just which, which, uh, if you don't mind me asking, TV. Where, where did you? Yeah, so I came on Islam Channel, which is oh. a well-known uh, Muslim yeah. uh, TV channel, um, and that was that was like for me like a milestone because it was like everyone now knows about me. Everyone talks about me. I've been on Dental Leaders podcast, which is probably one of the most. Mm -hmm. well-known dental podcast so for me um i started gaining traction and started making moves and all throughout there was this investigation going on in the background yeah but for me i got to a point where towards the end it didn't even bother me it it, it just was like all the coaching all the skills i'd learned throughout this process meant that the hearing was you, you know it, it was it just, was easy just something in the background you yeah deal with it and you know, that's interesting. Well, the, the 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 cool thing about this though is that you you were coming from a dark place. You found coaching, and it helped you through that. Changed your mindset. I mean, I've been through similar things myself. I'm not going to dive into that today, but in the sense, I've had bags of coaching in various different forms. But then, what then propels you to go the next step and say, right? Well, you know what? I'm going to be a coach myself, and I'm going to set this up. What was the motivation behind that? I think I think for me, like I completely understood the concept. I loved reading about it. I loved listening to people. I, I looked into business leaders, mm. and it's the preferred leadership style. Things have changed rapidly in business. Mm. People want uh, coaching to be implemented in their organization right from the top. People want to make better decisions. So people need to understand exactly what coaching is so so coaching in in essence is is maximizing performance and unlocking potential so you and you do that through being creative through asking questions and through unlocking someone so the idea basically is that you myself included we've all got potential to do better and it might be whether that's in dentistry whether that's in your relationship, that whether that's personal, whatever it might be, whether it's health. So we've all got certain things that we always want to get to, but we never really uh, get there. And the reason why we, I, I believe firmly why we don't get there is because we don't spend enough time understanding the problem. Mm. Once you understand the problem and get full clarity on what the problem is, you then, uh, you know, through coaching, 
you 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 get a full understanding and you then can make better decisions the outcome and where you are now is a product of all the decisions you've made along the way to me i'm quite relaxed about it um about my direction as well because i know what my purpose is my purpose is to help as many people as i can serve as many people as i can and make a difference because for me i i never got that gratification in dentistry maybe other people do but i've never seen it where people are so so grateful for what you've done that they'll remember you for the rest of their life and that's the impact that coaching has and that's why mm. i've spent more time dedicating myself towards that so do you do you just coach dentists or do you coach no no i, I would say a, a large percentage of my clients are non-dentists mm. um so where are they from predominantly female dentists okay, really is so predominantly females yeah. and, and what sort of like uh fields are they so so some can be just small businesses so mm. they've they've set up a, uh small businesses and they want particular help in a particular area um some can be for example might be that they want help in marketing the thing what, what i wanted to also get across on this podcast is there's a difference between coaching and mentoring mm. and you know what we, we use the t those terms interchangeably but they're two different things so a mentor is somebody who is like a teacher. So they're going to teach you what they know and their knowledge and try and get the mentee or the person to the level that they're at, basically. So what, what you're trying to do is impart skills that you've got into that person and get them to the level that you're at. A coach necess uh, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be of that same sector or in that area. And especially in dentistry, we need to get away from this idea of of, um, you know, you have to get the best endodontist or you have to get the best implant because they know everything and they can, they can teach you everything. We've got to get away from that mindset because even as an undergraduate, I'll go back to that. I felt that I learned more from the less experienced dentists, the ones that were in general practice than I did from any of the professors or any of the top guys. And, and, and it's all about people and business is all about people as well. So sometimes it's about finding people you gel with mm -hmm. and getting on a level with them and, and, and working towards whatever it is you want to achieve. For me, um, I've had this conversation with other dentists quite a few times. You know, I can name dentists who have been so influential in my career, uh, who have really been people who I look up to and still look up to. And I would say that, you know, Paul Tipton being one of them, my brother-in-law Mohan Chawlin being one of them, uh, Italian dude called Stefano Conti being one of them, uh, you know, Mr. Dalliwell, my very first principal being one of them, you know, and um, just this guy, you know, has, has helped me in that first stage of my career and then, you know, different people come along and help me and, and I will always reference back to these people being pivotal in my career and saying, you know, they, they really helped me along the way. It sounds like you never had anybody who really helped you in that respect yeah I'd, I'd i'd agree with that and i think i'll be honest I, from my understanding of dentistry obviously you're probably in that small percentage group mm. who because obviously we talked about how you had the confidence to place your own implant you know yeah. just you know you know and un, unsupervised which which i think you know if you speak to most dentists even doing something for the first time not many people have the confidence to do that. They'll they'll be honest about that. That's interesting. So, so you think I'm in a minority? Yeah. Comes, you think so? Yeah. So talking to people, yeah. that'd be interesting. I mean, if, you, if you look into yeah. associates, how many people work in the NHS compared to private sector? If you look at percentages and numbers and, and everything. Um, yeah, I, I do think that, this is why I get 
the top guys on my podcast because they're doing something differently mm. and they're moving differently and they've got a different mindset and they've got a different thing. But then there's a disconnect between them guys at the top and perhaps a newly graduated uh, dentist. Yeah. And uh, I suppose my job is more to create a culture where uh, it allows people to grow and get better. Guys, as you know, I am the lead tutor of the Hedro Academy Vertical Preparation course. Now, we have put together this beautiful vertical preparation kit, which has been beautifully made by former dental supplies. Simon at Former has kindly agreed to give one lucky winner uh, of this podcast a kit completely, completely free of charge, uh, which retails normally at £220 plus VAT. So all you have to do to win one of these fantastic vertical preparation kits is just give us a like, uh, subscribe to the podcast and share it and leave a comment below and we will pick one lucky winner every podcast and uh, Burkitt will be finding itself uh, in your clinic. Okay, so yeah, great guys. The Horacle Burkitt by Hedro Academy and former dental supplies. So, I mean, my experience is completely different to yours, complete opposite to yours. So I've always had good people around me, people that have inspired me, motivated me. I've worked in great practices and, you know, support and motivation, should I say, then to, to go on and do my own things. Whereas it seems like you've lacked that. Uh, my, I mean, I've been involved in foundation, well, I was involved in foundation training for over a decade. That landscape changed a little bit, but I was always, I've always been involved in that. I've always been involved with the coaching and the mentoring. I actually did a coaching and mentoring course as part of foundation training being a trainer myself. So I've been in that environment, which to me just seems normal. But I think if you're not involved in that, and I see that now actually, that maybe that is a niche in dentistry and the rest of the dentists just left to the big bad world by themselves and just struggle along. That's what it's sounding like to me. Is that right? Everyone's experience is unique, yeah. dentistry. And I think that's something we have to understand. But for most people, mm. and I say this with the greatest of respect, for most people, it's a lonely profession. Mm. They're in that surgery on their own. A lot of the time, it depends on what type of practice, what type of relationship they have with the trainer or yeah. the principal. It depends on what relationship they have with the other dentist. It depends on what relationship they have with the nurse. So a lot of the time, it's it's it, 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 it's quite lonely. And as well, we've got to be honest, right? Time is money. Mm. People don't like you knocking on their door because they know that they're not gonna get paid if they help you. Mm. And it's sad to say that, but that's the brutal, brutal, brutal truth of dentistry. For a lot of people, it's about money. And we need to, and money is, you know, we get paid really, really well mm. in dentistry. We do, we've got, we're highly skilled people. We get paid well, but what we lack is that people oriented do, dentistry. Do we not, do we not um, have that? in other professions than in other fields. Yeah, I mean, I so see it differently. Yeah. I see it differently. For example, my wife's a medic. Mm. Their training pathway is very different to ours. They they have a larger group, for example, at university. So they have a more diverse uh, friendship groups or, or social group. They then go on to working in a hospital for at least two years. Mm. They then come across even more diverse groups. They might have um, worked in different... Um, but uh, studies at different universities, you're coming across people at different grades, consultants, middle, uh, you know, and and 
it's a whole different experience because you've not just got exposed to that dental or medical school environment, you've now got exposed to a hospital environment. For, for people who generally work in general practice, only a small percentage go into hospital jobs. Most of them go straight into practice. So you don't you don't get that diverse experience a, in terms of meeting different people. Um, so I think in their role, and I think one thing, you know, when I speak to my wife and listen to, uh, they work very much so as a team. So even in A&E, when they've got, for example, a trauma case or whatever it might be, there's a series of people who are involved in that process. And it's very much a team effort to get the best outcome for that patient. Tell me what you've seen. Let's dig into that a little bit more. So what, what do you observe? Being, uh, as you told me, being late to the to the dentistry social media party. What uh, have you observed? What do you think? What's what, uh, How would you uh, weigh up our profession? Even recently, yesterday, I yeah. saw a post and there was a, a principal, for example, he posted saying, where are all the associates? Blah, blah, blah. Um, I've got a really good job here, whatever it might be. And mm. uh, where are all the associates? Why does nobody want this job? It's a really good job and blah, blah, blah. What type uh, of job was that? I, th I think it was some UDAs and there was and some private. Job. Yeah, okay. yeah, it was some private, but... Mm. And I, I don't understand what's happening um, and stuff. And you, most people, most dentists are associates. Let's be honest, right? Only a small percentage or a percentage of practice owners. So there's more associates and there's more practice owners. What what you got to understand is that you're in a market now where supply and demand. There's there's it's an associates market. So you've got to now tap into how can I make this job an attractive proposition. Yeah. for this associate to come and work for me. You've got to start thinking outside the box because it's not like they want the job either, in a, in a way. So, but, 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 but what I'm saying is that there's a disconnect because practice owners aren't business people. Practice owners um, don't understand the psychology of an associate and what they want. And associates don't understand the psychology of a practice owner and what they want. And when they, then the two don't align. Yeah. You get problems, mm. and my job is to to sort of for them to understand both parties to understand that the objective should be the same, right. and if it's not the same, then it's not the job for you two to come together. So let's dig into that. What what what's the associate one? So I'm, I tell me about because <laughs> I'll, I'll just give you a brief brief background to this question. So I mean, uh, you might know. I think you do know, I used to have a couple of NHS clinics and I went through this very dilemma myself around the 2016 mark onwards, where I just thought, you know what, recruitment has become a little bit difficult. However, I didn't sit there and start writing social media posts, bitching and moaning about it. Yeah. I just recognized that dentistry was changing and myself, I didn't want to work in the NHS. So I kind of like had this understanding that, well, if I don't want to work it, then there's clearly people, associates coming, but they don't want to do it. They're not just going to do the job because I don't want to do it. It's not an attractive job in the first place. So that's why I sold my NHS clinics. I'm purely private now. And I, I feel that's the way dentistry is moving. So tell me, what is it from an associate's viewpoint? What is an associate looking for? I think it varies. Mm. It, it really does vary. I think the, the issue you've got right is a lot of practices have really gone all in in NHS dentistry and they're now suffering because the whole model or business model has all been about UDAs. Mm. Oh yeah, we'll do a bit of private and and it's just not sustainable with the current cost of living, economic cri uh, crisis, all these kind of things. It just doesn't work out. And I think the mistake that perhaps 
practice owners have made is that because their business is so NHS focused, they then try to sell that to the associate. And the associate's like, I'm not buying that because because that's not attractive to me. I, that's what I want to run from. That's not something that I want to do. So this, the practice owner's hands are, t- are tied because they've got this big contract that they've got to fulfill and then they're trying to attract an associate t- to do that contract. And the second thing is that it depends on the mindset of the principal. The principal wants to pay the, the associate the lowest possible UDA rate that they could possibly get and just get them to do the job and come home with the money. And it, it, it after a bit, it just doesn't work because... The associate gets fed up because it's not what they wanted. The principal gets annoyed because the associate's upset and moaning and groaning. And you just get a series of dentists. And a lot of practical have experiences where they come, sign the contract, three months later they're gone. And there's a bit of bad blood between the two of them and they move on. But what happens, if that happens repeatedly, is word gets around, people start talking, and people then steer away from that practice because dentistry is a small small world everyone knows each other so if you start to develop a reputation like that no one's going to come and t- touch that job mm-hmm. and and i think practice owners now need to be smarter and you know what one of the guys that i spoke to um earlier in the series on my podcast brad thornton what i loved about him and when you listen to his podcast he talks more like a businessman and he talks more about what business should be about and what dentistry should be about so he talks about paying your staff well and keeping them motivated and and paying nurses well and keeping the support team happy because because that's important he talks about uh, associates and he talks about regularly discussing with them what do you want to do where do you want to go how can we help you you've got to you've got to be the coach you've got to be the leader you've got to have conversations with them you can't just here's the surgery here's your nurse get on with it mm-hmm. call me if anything breaks out. well don't call me because practice manager will sort it out you can't be like that because if you're like that you're just going to end up in problems and probably like yourself where you get fed up and think you know I wanted an easy life here <laughs> it's so much harder I'm going to get rid of this mess and that, that's why I'm saying that the principal needs to be the coach the principal needs yeah. to be the leader the principal needs to direct things and one thing that I still don't understand, and and somebody's people have tried to explain to me. I still don't get it. Right, you both want the same thing. You both want more money. You both want a happy clinic, and you both want a happy environment. What's so difficult about achieving that, and why is it so difficult? Why is there such a principal versus associate culture? Yeah, I think I could try and answer that. Okay, a little bit, uh, because I've been on both sides of the fence and I've owned NHS clinics and now I run a private clinic and I think the ultimately of course as a principal you would want a thriving all singing all dancing clinic uh, there are some success stories of some great mixed practices in some of the most deprived areas of the UK so there are some success stories however you know Brad Thornton is Leeds-based. I know Brad, uh, not personally, but I know of him. He's got a lovely, lovely practice in a very nice area of town. It's Horsforth, which is a very affluent area. You know, um, I'm based bang in the city centre. I'm a heterodental right in the city centre. So you can imagine the, the, the passing trade that comes through there. So, you know, building a practice like that, which is successful, where I can get, keep everybody motivated, where I can afford now to pay the staff the extra wages, 
uh, and motivate the associates. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, because the environment is there. If we now start going to some of the most deprived areas of the UK, where, say, 80-90% of your patients are going to be uh, non-payers, non-fee payers, your business model is purely, purely built on that NHS contract. So to be able to then be the coach, provide, you know, uh, you know, send, send, send for argument's sake your 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 associate on a composite bonding course or an implant course. It's not that valuable to the business because the core of the business is getting those UDAs done. You see? Whereas I feel like the attitude prior to 10, 15 years ago, there was an understanding of this. Whereas now I think dentistry has changed to such a point where and I feel it social media has fueled this. Yeah. And I feel that, you know, dental students now are almost no, they don't see that side of dentistry. The only side of dentistry they see is the sexy side of dentistry. Have you heard of the the twin dentists? The twin, yes, of course, they're Leeds based. And is that in an affluent area? It's not. It's not a massively affluent area, but it's it's um, you know Leeds is is not a huge city, and uh, they've they've marketed it very well. And that's 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 that's. Um, that's 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 uh, going against what I'm saying. I get that. The, yeah. The point I'm trying to make is that things are rapidly changing. Yeah. Patients' attitudes in Invisalign has been around for a long, long time. Mm. People now want it all the time. Of course. Composite bonding has been. Composites have been around for a long time. Yeah. People now want Botox fillers, facial aesthetics, all these things. What I'm saying is that practice owners, especially the NHS focus, mm. have been slow to react. Mm. And understand that things are changing. So you need to the, the the practice and the business model needs to change as well. Yeah. Because you've got to you what what I'm saying to you is that what that means is that these deprived areas and these areas, practice owners have to think that do we what 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 is my vision? Where do I want to be with this practice? Do I want to continue bashing the Nash, get someone as cheap as chips and try and continue that? Mm. And how much money is it going to be making me? Yeah. So you've got to have that insight and that understanding that is that is that really what I want? And if that is the case that that's what I want, then how am I, how am I going to solve that problem? So so if I can't get a UK based graduate to work for me, then I need to pivot and move towards something else. So whether that means um, getting dentists from abroad, whether that means um, you you know getting therapists to do some of the work, whatever it might be. You've got to have that plan and pivot towards that. But my point is, is that you've got to stop expecting different outcomes when you're still doing the same thing because things are changing. I agree with you 100%. Going back to the twin dentist, I mean, it's a purely private clinic. So if you are a purely private clinic, you can either base your model on doing cheapest trips, routine care, equivalent of the NHS, or you just go for it and offer the great treatments that we've just been talking about. But they've marketed themselves very well and they've, they're a success story. Of course they are. Uh... I agree with you, hundred percent. I mean, even in deprived areas, you know, people will find that's money. The thing. People it's, will find money to buy the things that they want. Exactly. Absolutely. If you yeah. can, if you can sell yourself Absolutely. as a practice and as a person, yeah. And I think person people forget this is where I think, like, I did a study on, for example, my dentist, mm. and, and I'm not calling them out or anything. Her so the disclaimer, but corporates have failed to understand this yeah, very very important thing the dentist 
is the most important person in the room. The dentist is the person who's, who generates the practice money. The dentist is the person who the patients trust and believe in. It's not anyone else. So if that dentist has a great relationship with their patients, you can, you, you know, you need to empower them. And I think all dental practices need to use that model. It's all about retaining the top dentist. It's all about empowering the top dentist. It's all about motivating them and making your business model fit towards them in particular. And I know the danger is that I give them all this, I train them up, and then they mm. go and do one and, and set their own oh, practice. This, uh, well, and this, I, I, yeah, I completely understand definitely. that, 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 that mm. issue. But then it's also about keep dangling the carrot, keep dangling the carrot, and they'll keep following you, they'll keep following you. At some point they might end up, but when I say if you create an environment where they feel empowered, they trust you, you trust them, and they're earning enough. There's no reason whatsoever for them to leave. Because how much does it cost to set up a, a clinic? What are the running costs for, for even a one surgery practice? Mm -hmm. You've got to pay a dental nurse. You've got to pay a receptionist. You've got to set up a... You've got There's, there's a lot to consider. And and then even even an associate set up, for example, a one surgery or even two, they're not that... How much more are you going to get as an associate? So, so it's not always in their interest to go up and go and set up their own their own practice. So what I'm saying is you've got to create an environment that they thrive in, your business thrives in, and they feel like the most important person in the room. Absolutely. But I, I can just, yeah, I think because as I said, I've, I've, I've run different types of businesses. So I've, I've been there, I've been with those dynamics of running a Nash clinic, running a private clinic. It's so much easier doing that in a private clinic because just everything's set up for that. When you're, honestly, if you're a principal and if you've ever been in that position, I'm sure lots of principals will relate to this. If you've ever been in that position, see the lights just came on, <laughs> light bulb moment. If you're in that position of having to do, you know, pay, you know, clawed oh, back right. money, honestly, it just kills you. It just kills you. And that's one thing that, that, that we can never get. To, across to the associate because the associate is never in that position where they have to write the check you know or transfer that money back to the NHS because it's not the associate's problem and I get that completely but to be fair there's two ways you can do it it's, it's a case of you either build your business and tailor it and adapt it as you've just said or you just get out of it and that's exactly what I did because yeah. I saw it I just, yeah. I just figured I just figured that you know what this just isn't for me this isn't the way I want to run my business this isn't you know I, I, I don't want to do this kind of dentistry anymore and that was pretty much the bulk of the dentistry that was done back in the day, but it's changed now. I mean, what Tony Kilcoyne told me when he came on this podcast was privately delivered healthcare now delivers more, uh, sorry, privately delivered dental care now is is more value-wise as uh, NHS-funded dental care in the UK. Private is number one, which I was shocked to hear. And that's the way it's moving. So just the NHS, honestly, it's a dying thing. Do you think? I absolutely agree. Yeah. It is a it is a dying thing, and and it's fine for it to die. <laughs> like you said, you've got buttons that you can press. Mm. Get out, use that parachute, convert your patients to becoming private if if you can. You've there's always solutions to the problem, but don't sit there thinking there's this is the worst case scenario because everything is all about how you respond to it mm. and. The sharp ones, perhaps like yourself, when you realise the recruitment crisis, I'm struggling to get associates. This 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 practice doesn't serve me any any purpose. 
and in fact it's a bigger headache than than I need I need to get out what I'm saying is there's always prob there's always solutions to every problem and the NHS being whatever and doing whatever is not really your problem mm. at the end of the day you never had control of what contract they're going to ask you to deliver and what they're going to do they can change the dynamics whenever you want but I think the private and the goodwill is 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 really you know the value of your practice and I think if you spend time building that and building that and building that that will serve you well or, or it'll be more uh proof from things like a recession and things like that because you're not just relying on on the government to, to ask you to deliver cheapest chips and mm, mm. I yeah that's and that's why I exited I just thought this isn't the way I want to deliver you know uh dental care anymore so I got out of it what's next for you so I, I mean for me I'm I'm still growing my coaching uh practice and growing myself um to be honest I'm actually growing my, myself in dentistry as well because I'm going on cosmetic I'm going on a cosmetic course which I've never done before mm. uh so I'm I'm upskilling um I've just been on uh, looking at different aligners are different um and don't want to plug anyone because uh I've I've not actually tried it out but th there are new new things always happening so myself I am upskilling as a dentist and 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 doing well but there are other opportunities that I'm I'm looking at and looking to help on a coaching level as well so I'm always looking to improve myself and my, my goal has always been to have a good work-life balance where I can do my dentistry two or three days a week but I can also dedicate time to my coaching mm. uh, and I think if I get there and I'm not too far off there if I get there then for me that's a fulfilled life and I think you know like you said you've then got to also diversify your portfolio whether that's investing in 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 things whether that's property whether that's cryptocurrency whether that's stocks shares whatever whatever you might be i've become more entrepreneurial i've started to look at other ways to make money rather than just or just working as an associate or just expect your income to come from dentistry because it, you know there are other ways of 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 making money not just through dentistry yeah 100 percent, i agree with that tell us how can we find out about your coaching courses so I, I personally at the moment, you know, for me, this isn't about money as such. Yeah. Um, so some coaches out there, um, and, and there's a fair few, um, I, I genuinely think coaching hasn't been presented in the right way to, to, to dentistry or the dental profession. And, you know, um, and there's certain coaches, you know, even you, see, you hear on social media, they'll be like, they lost me money and blah, 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 and I trusted blah, 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 and and I just think that it's been presented in the wrong way. And then there's other coaches out there that are selling you uh, dreams and telling you things that just aren't true. So you've got to come from a starting point of, okay, I do like the idea of coaching and I do like the philosophy of coaching and I can see how this might benefit me. So so, so I would only appeal to those kind of people, but the only people, the thing with dentistry, we have a very closed mindset. We, we we think we're right, and we're always right, no matter what, and we have to always be right. And 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 I've had it myself where I've spoken to practice owners, and it's like, you're an associate. What can you teach me? Kind of mentality. And if you've got that already mentality and that limiting belief that nobody can teach you something, or you see them as lower, then you're never going to get anywhere with that person, are you? Because they're already in that mindset of you're just an associate, you've never run a practice, what do you know about 
about that. So, so I think my, my thing is that I want people to change their attitude towards coaching and understand that it's not about, um, we, we've all, we can always, always learn. We can learn from everyone we come across. Um, even, you know, so, some of the most intelligent conversations I've had are from people from the most deprived backgrounds or have the most deprived jobs. You can use always things you, you can learn from people. And I always have that mindset. And I always try to, perhaps like we talked about George, I always try to follow their arguments and always try to follow their limiting beliefs and, 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 and try to follow and try to understand. And there's always people who you'll always come across and you'll always learn something. So I want dentists to adopt this idea that we should always think we don't know it all. And we should always adopt uh, uh, an attitude that we've always got so much more to learn. And we'll, we should never stop learning and we should never stop um um, basically coaching really because I think coaching will always move you along you can't if we keep playing that victim card of you know it's awful it's negative NHS dentistry is awful they don't pay us enough the this is happening that's happening it's all the government's fault it's there well, what are you doing do you know what I mean you, 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 you're not going to get anywhere like that you what you've got to you've got to have that self-awareness and understand that stop blaming everyone else take control of your situation and write that next chapter tomorrow. Take control and say, look, enough's enough. I've taken enough and I've had these limiting beliefs for far too long. I can achieve what I want to achieve, but um, do I have that discipline? Do I have that motivation? Am I going to change my habits? Am I going to be consistent? Am I going to get a coach? Am I going to get help? And am I going to stop thinking I can get this help from reading books or watching YouTube videos because they're not going to get you anywhere because you're going to watch them for five minutes, you're going to listen to them and you're going to move on. A coach is somebody who's going to literally have that accountability, hold your hand, push you, get you to where you want to be. And, you know, to be honest with you, like myself, I don't even charge a lot because for me, you know, dentists, we get paid well. So, so, so it's not, it shouldn't be an issue really getting professional help. No, I agree. I think um, no, I agree with pretty much everything you've said there. The funny thing is, is um, I kind of have been on that journey indirectly, and I've had some wonderful coaches and uh, and and people to help me throughout my career. But um, clearly, people are not aware that 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 these resources exist. So, how can people find you? Um, so, obviously, I've got my website, Clarity yeah. Coaching International. I'm quite active on Facebook predominantly, but I do have a LinkedIn page as well as an Instagram page. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I offer free complimentary uh, coaching uh, calls because um, for me, I, I do want to talk to you, but I don't like people, uh, you know, people who are intrigued. It doesn't mean that you have to go for it, but pick up the phone, have a conversation, think about it. I know, I know the initial reaction is, no, I, I, don't, I don't want that. But if you, like you said, if you never explored that opportunity, yeah. you've never gone on that journey, you just don't know where it's going to take you. And I, I genuinely believe in the philosophy and in the idea of of it being able to help people. It's just you have to say that, look, I'm ready to be coached. I'm ready to 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 show my vulnerabilities, you know, get rid of that baggage and create the new you and create the person who you want to get to. And like I said, for myself, I genuinely have achieved and will continue to achieve. And this hasn't happened by chance, me sitting here, me being able to be so active on 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 uh, social media me you know getting like some of my posts to see over 15 20,000 people accessing it seeing it 
even the people you come across in real life, like people are like, oh, I follow you, I listen to what you, I, th I think you're doing a good job. You, you can already tell that you're making a difference to people's lives. And for me, I've already sort of uh, achieved that in such a short space of time. It's, it's not that long. I spent 10 years prior to the GDC case and what I've achieved in the two years that, you know, I've, I've not achieved. And I'm not saying, it, 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 I'm not saying I've done anything wrong or have any regrets, but you will do later on in life when you look back and think, did I use my time wisely? Did I, did I, did I do what I wanted to do? Did I achieve my purpose? And, you know, people will remember you for it. And I think that's important. You've got to look at the end goal. We're all going to die one day. We're all going to end up old. We're all going to, you know, and have we really lived a life that's fulfilled to ourselves and are true to ourselves and have we developed those relationships, you know, well enough? Sure. Well, no, I think, thanks for coming in today. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting to hear the other side because I've always looked at things through a principles lens and uh, thanks for telling us your story. And uh, no, I, I wish you best of luck with uh, Clarity Coaching International. We'll obviously link it in and, uh, you know, uh, wish you every success and thanks for everything. Yeah, thanks for having me as well on this show and I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, guys, if you want to get in touch, uh, just drop me a message. I mean, you'll find me. I am very, very active on social media. So yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming. Thank you.